Hello, everybody. Welcome to Take the Stage, the opera podcast, episode 30. Today, we're sharing an interview that we did a few weeks ago where we learned about resources that help singers find historical and contextual information about operas when they're preparing for new roles. We also heard from an opera fan about the importance of opera in our culture. And so if you are ever going to prepare a role, which you are, or you just need a little reminder about how much your art matters to the community, then this episode is for you. Is everyone saying no to your singing career? Well, we here at Take the Stage Opera Podcast say toy, toy, toy. Find out what is holding you back so you can stop waiting in the wings and go out and get your standing ovation. There are no forbidden topics here, so get your ticket and find your seat. In Boca Lupo. Yes, so this is Evan Dunn. And I will be joined shortly by my co-host, Mariah Wilcox. We are sharing an interview that we did with Pat Wright from the amazingly informative podcast, Opera for Everyone. So Pat Wright studies and teaches history for a profession. And she started a podcast to help audiences connect with opera singers or with opera stories before they go see operas. And she started a podcast to help audiences connect with opera stories before they go see operas, which is especially helpful if it's in a different language. Um, But for me as a singer, I have found her podcast super helpful when it comes to preparing a role or learning about a new opera that I am listening to. It's full of helpful information, and I would definitely recommend subscribing to it if you like opera or if you want to learn more about specific stories. Um, the episode that we recorded with her was the opera Susanna with, um, with Mariah and I both. And Mariah and I have performed in Susanna, and we love that opera. So it was a, a pleasure to talk to you. So definitely check that out. But before we get started, uh, just an update about some of our projects that we have going on. We are in the middle of our finances month and have one more episode that we will share next week about business, and we're looking forward to that. Also, we have some new and exciting courses that we've been working on and will continue to develop. Uh, Be excited to check those out soon. Um, And Please reach out to us if you have any specific ideas of things that you'd like to learn about. We do not know everything, (laughs) but this podcast has given us the ability to reach out to experts and get help from the people who actually do, in fact, know everything. (laughs) So hit us up and let us know what you'd like to learn. Also, if you wouldn't mind subscribing and giving us a review wherever you listen to podcasts, we learn so much from you, our listeners. So thank you. And with that, we'll jump into the interview with Pat Wright from Opera for Everyone. So, Pat, we have a few questions for you. And um, we know that you don't have a background in singing, but you have this wonderful historical research aspect to your work. And it's so important for us singers to to gain that information. So we want to hear a little bit about your expertise. <laughs> oh, <laughs> well, I... I was a history major in college, and I 
taught history for about 30 years. So I got to go over certain periods of history, particularly European history, over and over again. So it's it's in my bones, wow. the broad outlines of it. But, you know, as with anyone who studies history, you can't be an expert in everything. You can't no. be on top of your game in everything. But so you do research and you fit it into those frameworks. And that's that's what I do. Okay, so fitting into the frameworks, this contextual work, that's something that we try to do as singers as we're preparing roles. Um, we try to figure out historical um, context for the composer, the piece, librettist, and all of this. And honestly, we usually start with Wikipedia. I mean, you know, it's just <laughs> a free, easy resource. Sure. But where can we go from there? Are there um, resources that are easy for people to access? Are there free re- resources for singers to access? What would you recommend? Well, first of all, I want to say that there's nothing wrong with starting with Wikipedia. It's, I mean, I think it's one of the marvels of the modern world. So easy, so quick, but it is a starting point. And and it can give you a framework depending on the article and how it's been constructed. Beyond that, for a singer, I would say, I mean, there are like books that you can buy. Sure. But that might, that might be awkward. There's... Mm-hmm. Um, for example, Donald Grout has a short history of opera, which is, you know, funny because it's the longest one I've been able to find <laughs> in a volume. But it's but it's very it's very helpful depending on which opera it is you're looking at. Okay. It it's you know, it won't help with everything. That will help you not really with character, but it will help you if you wanna have a sense of where it fits into the history of opera in a given location. Sure. And some operas are treated in more depth than others. Beyond that, honestly, a good Google, if you want it just to be free, 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 a good Google search will get you a lot of interesting results. And I wish I could say you go to this place and then this place and then this place, but it's different for every opera. Right. So you just start clicking on links and just see where it takes you or? Not exactly. I... I believe, I mean, I, I, when I was a history teacher and, and students were doing research, I would always say, be aware of what source you're clicking on. Be aware of who's giving you this information. So I think one reasonably reliable source of information is if you come upon uh, a program, and these are often available, that opera companies have produced because they get good people to yes. do research and write. You know, San Francisco Opera, Lyric Opera from Chicago. I found some really good things from them. Articles, not not just the synopsis or the character list, but but articles that tell you a little bit more about the background and the time period. And uh, sometimes the Met Opera will have uh, resources for educators, and they'll have a little bit more information. It's not that one of those is always going to be great, because there's variety in who's writing them and who's producing them. Um, and then you can also maybe find resources on the internet where they focus on a particular composer. And if you look, and sometimes even the composers, some of their supporters or fans or foundations have set up the websites and there's a lot of correspondence that's up mm-hmm. there. And so you, sometimes it's fun. You can read about what the composer has written during the course of composing or the um, initial production of the opera, it 
it just it does take time though to poke around and do this yeah. and you know I'm saying that because that's what I do but I'm not necessarily sure that a singer needs to do all of that it depends what your goal is I, I think you there's there's a couple of things historically speaking there are a couple of questions you want to answer I think when is it written when is it set right and what's the original source Yes. Because sometimes the original source is much older, or sometimes it's just a play that's gone on a couple of years before. It, it, it varies. And if it's by a famous playwright, you might want to know a little bit about that playwright because it's going to inform what the message is of the... Yeah, you know, I'm thinking of... Definitely. I'm thinking of um, uh, the Figaro operas, yeah. for example. Yes. Uh, Beaumarchais was the playwright who wrote both of those stories and it's it's set in a French or he's writing in the in the context of the French Revolution and and he was he was even involved in um, efforts to help the Americans in the American Revolution even though he was a Frenchman but a lot of the issues that come up there are these issues of of class struggle that you see in well the Mozart opera even even more than uh the Barber of Seville. Right. Well, yeah. And then, you know, the marriage of Figaro becomes more than just this, you know, skeevy count and like, you know, funny type of play and becomes more about the, the you know, the lower classes. Yeah. Overturning the higher classes like wants. And if you don't find that out or if your director doesn't help you to discover that information then you know the the opera can really fall flat you know yeah have you ever seen productions where they have ignored or were ignorant of some of the historical contexts surrounding the opera and did that do you feel like that changed the show and you know do you think it's imperative that these things be included in in the directing well certainly it helps if, if that's known. And I'm probably not in a position to say, oh, the director didn't know this. I, that would, that's presumptuous on my part. Sure, yeah. <laughs> but, um, I mean, that this, in a way, that's how I got started with my partner, Keely, when we, when we first began this, this effort, is that we would, during intermissions and after the opera, we would talk about them, and I would be throwing historical context at her that you wouldn't necessarily know. And it, it's no fault of any particular production, but I find my appreciation of what's going on with the characters in the story is enhanced by knowing mm-hmm. when it's set or when it was written, because oftentimes things are set in a different time, particularly mm. in areas where there's going to be political repercussions for mm-hmm. being a little bit too blunt with criticism. If you set something in an older time period, particularly if it's a classical time period, you can get away with a lot in terms of yeah. contemporary criticism. Yeah. So I don't, I, yeah. So in answer to your question, Ryan, no, I'm not going to, I, I don't think that there's anyone that I would single out as being problematic in terms of a production, but there's no question that for anyone involved in a production, it's, it's very helpful to know when it was written, when it was set and whatever they can find out about the original source. And oftentimes those sources are very well known. Yeah. Yeah. 
when you were saying about how political repercussions could come from an opera, it makes me think of the Minotti opera, The Consul, mm. which is set yeah. in like um, 1940s Europe. Um, and talks a lot about, well, I mean, the entire opera centers around this family who is trying to flee this uh, repressive country, and they aren't able to. And it's kind of an opera that has not been done for a really long time, but I think because of what is happening, has been happening in America for the past couple of years, it has kind of resurfaced because there are mm. similar themes with immigration happening in America right now. But, you know, if you set it back in the 1940s, then you can kind of, you know, it's it's a commentary on what is happening right now, but is not necessarily putting any blame on any one particular political party or person. Well, because part of what goes on with great literature, great opera, great storytelling is that there are human truths, human tendencies, and they play out differently in different time periods. But you're always going to have people questing for power. You're always going to have people preying on the weak. You might have class differences, or you might have someone in charge imposing their will on the people. Mm-hmm. You're going to have battles. I mean, a lot of these things are just what makes us human or what, what happens over and over right. again in human history. So you can set things a long time ago and be... I mean, I'm thinking about the opera Susanna and the, the criticism <laughs> that we might feel towards these very judgmental churchgoers in this little community you could you could obviously set this in a different time and place in fact the opera itself is a telling of a of a a story from the book of daniel apocryphal Mm -hmm. which is moved to the united states yeah so yeah resetting them in different times and places even existing works of art there's a point to be made when when producers or composers and librettists do that. So there's one time period in specific that I always struggle with. And I think I remember you talking about it <laughs> in the in the Tosca episode. Because there's the whenever you're talking about the French Revolution mm-hmm. and like who's fighting who when and who's the good guy when and who's the bad guy when you know that there's that whole conversation I feel like I need a book that I can sit down (laughs) and read and be like okay now I understand the French Revolution and then I can put all these operas into context because I get so confused is there like is there a good book that you know of I'm asking you (laughs) off the top of your head because it just popped into my head yeah, the trouble with a book is that it's probably going to be too much. Sure. Um, it's almost better to get... Um, I'm, I wish I could give you a better answer. That's okay. I just asked <laughs> you off the top of my head. A, a full book... I mean, you obviously, you could read a book of the French Revolution, but you would need the French Revolution plus the Napoleonic era. Exactly. Right? Straight up to 1815. Exactly. Because the the reason why, prob- I'm guessing the reason why it's confusing is that it starts out one way in the French Revolution, you know, mm-hmm. liberté, égalité, fraternité, you know, we're all one citizen. Um, 
and then it morphs into the terror mm-hmm. in in pretty short order because these people get power and they are getting rid of the aristocracy, mm-hmm. you know, off with their heads and all of that. And and then things are are frightening because there's disorder everywhere. I mean, that's what terror we 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 talk about terrorism now, but the terror of the French Revolution was to to get conformity to you never know when something's going to strike that's what terror means and after the terror or or what finally um i'm and i'm truncating history wildly here but (laughs) but what but what finally happens is is napoleon rises up napoleon who is very skilled militarily incredibly skilled militarily and very and he's oh napoleon <laughs> i could talk for hours <laughs> on napoleon um he's not of aristocratic origin sure he's from corsica he's not aristocratic he would have stood zero chance of rising to a prominent place in the army during the pre-revolutionary period because you because it was such a class-based society so napoleon rises up and there's all the excitement around napoleon because he's seen as ah meritocracy works the worth of the individual matters more than your bloodline but of course napoleon doesn't just go yay yay we're all good let's let's have schools and meritocracy no he declares himself emperor ultimately (laughs) and goes to war with the rest of europe so you have all during this period, it's it's there's a lot going on. That's why you get yeah. confused. <laughs> yes, <laughs> there is a lot be- going on. Because he becomes emperor and he's fighting essentially the powers of Europe, who ultimately join forces against him and defeat him twice. <laughs> um, and and it so that's why it gets confusing and and you get the different um, powers of Europe. holding on to some of the areas which are not necessarily nationalistically the same as their own. So the whole 19th century, we're, we kind of go from an era of multinational states to um, an expression of nationalism. And nationalism mm. comes up a lot for someone like Verdi, yeah, for sure. example. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And that's because that's during the middle 19th century when the Italian states become Italy. Italy is unified, and the same thing with the Germanic states. It becomes mm-hmm. Germany. So, and and nationalism. I mean, nationalism goes straight up into the twentieth century. And yeah. you, know, you think of the struggles of the First World War. Yeah, and so it seems to be reemerging too. Yeah, <laughs> wouldn't it be fun to read a book, or even if there was like a visual map of like the the history. And then the operas that are connected to which historical events. But then, you know, to read a book where it was like, here's the history, and then the opera stories just kind of pop in to kind of that like... That would be really Wouldn't that be kind of interesting? We should do, we should make that yeah, in all of our free time. Yeah, I'm, I just know so much about history, I should write a book about it. You can research things! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, but you know, it gets complicated because some, some operas have a sweep of history. Yeah. And like I say, some of them are written in a particular time... But but set they're in set time. in a different time and their source material may be in yet a different yes. time or maybe the same time. Um, but great works of art have human truths in them. 
Yes. And the great operas, the ones that stay in the repertoire, do have human truths in them. I mean, I'm reminded of Shakespeare, right? We there's re, re, There is a reason why Shakespeare is produced over and over again and can be set in different time periods because he's talking about human beings and the interaction that they have with each other and the state. And you can do that because there's... There's a message there. I love it. So, Pat, um, just one more question. We'd like to ask your story of how you discovered opera. (laughs) And if you could just comment on the impact it has made for you as a person. Obviously, you know, you have this podcast now. and and, um, But we're wondering if there's any, like, personal impacts that it has made on your life. Oh, that's not a big question at all. Um, <laughs> all right, I'll take the I'll take the easy part first. How I discovered opera. I, unlike so many people involved in making operas, I did not grow up with classical music or with opera or honestly anything other than pop music and show tunes. Now I did love show tunes. <laughs> I'm talking about like Broadway shows. Yeah. Um, I did love show tunes, and I didn't. Um, yeah, I mean, I saw them as movies, and it didn't go to Broadway or anything as a kid, but but loved them. And, and But I particularly loved the albums that my mom would play where I hadn't seen the show, and I had to imagine from the songs mm. what the entire story was. And you can do that more or less with various shows. Right. So I loved the storytelling aspect and the power that music had, but I honestly didn't. I mean, I'd heard the word opera, but I didn't experience it in any way until um, till I was in my 20s. And I was married and my husband and I got, subs- we just plunked down our money and we got a subscription to New York City Opera because we were living close enough to do that. <laughs> yeah, well, because, you know, that was the affordable opera. And right. I have such a fond place in my heart for New York City Opera because we went and... Um, well, I mean, I maybe should back up. We tried a little bit with the classical music, and we bought Friday night subscriptions to uh, a series at Avery Fisher Hall, which is also part of Lincoln Center. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I'm sorry to say, Friday night, after working all week, oh, yeah. you get up early in the morning, and it's, no matter what they're playing, it's a lullaby, right? And so it's just... <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to stay awake. Yes. And I just always felt so awful. So then then we decided opera and maybe with more uh Visual, stimulus we yeah. could yeah, we would we would be able to uh to stay <laughs> to stay awake for it. No, my husband uh. always stayed awake. I didn't. I I got too so sleepy. Um but and little by little like the as familiarity um, grew, I just loved it. Just loved it. You know, you have to take advantage of the opportunities that are around you. So, mm. I was around at a time when we were able to go to New York City Opera. But no matter where you are, there are opportunities to try out different art forms that you may not be super familiar with. And and I'm I've just landed on opera because I've always loved literature I love storytelling I love music and opera's got it all Mm -hmm. it's and and so how has it what was your question Mariah how has it affected me yeah (laughs) any personal impact yeah oh it's just I love story and I mean that's this is how human beings learn we learn through story we resonate with story we have from the beginning Uh, of time right right 
all the, I mean, think of it, all the great scriptures of the world, they are stories or mm-hmm. they're teaching through stories. And this is how we learn. I, I, I've taught very young children. I've taught adults. I've taught everything in between. And everyone loves stories. It's, it's so clear to me when I'm with three-year-olds or four-year-olds, if you are telling them stories, they're there. They're with you. You're reading a book or you're telling them a story. It doesn't matter. Either way, stories, it's, it, it feels very human. It feels very hardwired into us. And I'll tell you, when I first started working with young kids as a teacher, <laughs> and things would be getting a little crazy, I discovered <laughs> if I would sing, didn't matter mm. what it was, <laughs> didn't yeah. matter what it was, like, I think you're hurting him, please stop. You know, <laughs> doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. They stop and they listen if they mm. hear song, if they hear music. Or we use music to, I mean, think of the, just really basic, the ABC song. Yeah. That's how we all know the alphabet and alphabetical order. So there's something very fundamental about story, and there's something very fundamental about music yeah. in the human soul. And I see it with young children, and I experience it as, a, as an adult. Yeah. And I love it. I just love it. Um. I really liked what you said about how when you're telling a story, it doesn't matter what's going on. If you're telling a story, your audience is with you. Because I think so often we get caught up as singers in creating this perfect sound. When really, if we want to create something that is memorable, something that is going to move people, the number one thing you have to do is tell a story. And we we really often forget that, especially as we go into auditions and we just have this tiny excerpt for this panel of six people. That is a terrifying moment. But if we can remember to tell a story, that's, I mean, we've succeeded if you're telling a story. Yeah, I, re- I remember my first, I, I think I mentioned that my first opera was, in fact, Susanna, which we've been talking about. And... Um, I was contemplating whether being an opera singer could be a career for me or not. And in my brain, I think I had this idea that getting on stage, putting on costumes and makeup and telling silly stories, it just felt like a silly thing and not really maybe a legitimate career, which maybe a lot of us go through that. I don't know. I have not, but I'm sure people do. (laughs) Yeah. And so (laughs) I remember standing backstage, maybe it was a dress rehearsal and, um, just thinking about my character, thinking about the story and listening to the singers that were out on the stage and just having this moment of like my my mind and my soul just kind of opening up and realizing that creating music and telling stories is so important to humans. And it it was important to me to be involved in this story, to tell a story and for other people to be there to receive the story. And kind of realizing that this is totally legitimate. You know, this is what it means to be a human. Why would this be any less relevant to humanity than being a doctor or being an accountant? You know, we're just just a different outlet. But I just so appreciate hearing people like you, Pat, who aren't singers. Because like I said, you know, maybe every once in a while I wonder, does this mean anything? Does anyone even care that I'm up here bellowing away and doing this thing? But um, to hear that it can make a difference for you, I just appreciate that so much. 
Well, it's art, mm-hmm. right? I mean, art is part of what I think enriches all of our lives. Mm. Uh, and I'm not just talking about paintings on the wall. Yeah. It's, it's, it's literature. It is visual art. It's dance. Mm. It's music. It's drama. And I mean, can you even imagine our lives without art? Um, and you know, and, and in that, I include all the things we watch on Netflix and various. You know, it's all yeah. the things that are being created to to tell stories and to um, hopefully speak to our better natures or or help us explore feelings we may have touched upon or to help us empathize with people who are not like us. Art can do so many things, but it art is absolutely critical for people. I mean, that's why on Opera for Everyone, I want to encourage people to experience opera because I do think it'll, it'll make them, because I do think it will give them enjoyment and, and and let them think a little bit about their own humanity. And I, that sounds heavy. I never put it that way on the show, but but, that's real. That's true. But opera, opera is, is off-putting for some people because it can be seen as so elitist. It mm-hmm. can be seen as expensive. It can be seen as inaccessible. Yeah. I mean, how many movies do you go in where you know the entire plot ahead of right. time? You don't want that. You, no one wants a spoiler in a TV show or in a movie. But in an opera, it's not about being shocked by the plot it's about being really wrapped up in the story and understanding it. And so knowing what's going to happen in an opera and being a little bit familiar with it, I find I, each time I get more and more and more out of it. So I, it's not the same sort of thing as going to just a movie or a, yeah. or a TV show. And trust me, I love those as well. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. right. but, but opera, it's good to know what you're getting into and you will get more out of it because most operas have so much depth to them that there's just so much you can resonate with. And you might resonate it differently if you hear it at one point and then five years later, it mm-hmm. might hit you differently. Yeah. yeah. So thank you so much for the work that you do. I love that you say opera for everyone, just like mm-hmm. the title of your podcast, because, you know, maybe not everyone is going to sit down and love all the operas that they see, but just that we can reach out and help it to be available for more people. It's it's really exciting for me as a singer. And so to all of our listeners out there, we just want to remind you that you can you can take control of the things that you know. You are powerful. You're creative. You can learn new things, even about the French Revolution and all of its <laughs> complexities. And with that, keep singing. Take the stage and develop your voices. In Boca Lupo. Thank you for listening to another episode of Take the Stage Opera Podcast. We love hearing from you, so please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast and give us a review. It helps us to continue delivering quality material.